Maximum Health with your host, Dr. Ken Gray. With over 20 years in healthcare, Dr. Gray is a doctor of oriental medicine and holistic physician fusing Eastern and Western healing. Dr. Gray is on staff at Jupiter Medical Center and in private practice with an office in Jupiter, Florida, where he resides. Dr. Gray enjoys being a physician as well as being an educator. His unique approach to holistic healing has taken him abroad to lecture in Baden-Baden, Germany, and treat sports professionals in Hawaii and Biarritz, France. He is co author of several books on food therapy and the founder of the annual Star Summit Talks at the Norton Museum of Art in Palm Beach, Florida. Now it's time for Maximum Health with Dr. Ken Gray. Welcome back, everyone. This is Maximum Health Quality Living with yours truly, Dr. Ken Gray. Thank you for joining us. And as always, we are available via podcasts, all podcast formats, and we are on uh, National Public Radio, NPR of the Treasure Coast, um, 88.9 FM, and every Friday at 7 p.m. So for those of you that are religiously um, listening in and supporting us, we thank you so much. Big hugs. Um, It's now been about six months um, probably glo- well globally that we've been dealing with this coronavirus um, and they call it a pandemic I'm not sure that it is but I can tell you there is a part of me which really is over all of it <sighs> <laughs> I just have to say that um, and I'm a physician and I you know I'm so about holistic care and viewing the community as this organism and we all support each other and need each other and and I'm very much preventative so my view and take on everything's um, and helping people has been way different than say the masses and I get that the masses are different but I like to focus on positivity and what we can do to move forward as a healthy society and part of that has so much to do with the way that we survive other than just preventing a virus from taking hold, there's also simple things like food and shelter and electricity and water. And so much of that is is um, difficult for so many people. And I have on the line with me today, thankfully, she was able to join me, Elizabeth Barbella, who is returning. She has been a guest before, and she um, is running the helm over at the Martin and St. Lucie Community Foundation. They are um, involved with and championing the needs of so many people affected, at least in the, the, the county of Martin and St. Lucie, through this coronavirus um, and the legislation and the red tape and all of it that's affected the ability for people to make a living, um, for people to just survive in other ways. So thank you for joining us to shed some light on this silver lining that we have. Thank you, Elizabeth Barbella. Take it away. <laughs> How are you? <laughs> Thank you for bringing me back. Um, um, well, um, 
And yes, it's been six months. Uh, it's uh, shocking, uh, and then it also to your uh, opening comments, it feels unending. <laughs> yeah, it feels unending. <laughs> um, yes, meaning that yeah. So you know, we keep approaching this thing on a daily, weekly, monthly basis, and you know, it's that that saying, uh, however unpopular it might be, is you know, how do you uh, eat an elephant, you know, one bite at a time, and mm. so. We've really been moving forward uh, in this space, uh, in this uncharted territory, if you will, um, really taking it one step at a time and trying to be good listeners and good learners and good adapters, right? Because that's really uh, what we think has made uh, the charitable sector and the giving sector uh, able to cope and, and move through uh, these past uh, several uh, months and the challenges they've presented in the basic needs space, but just sort of overall in the quality of life space. And I think about that term because I, I know that's so integral to, to your programming. Yes. Now, just to remind our listeners and maybe some of our new listeners, what is the mandate of the Martin St. Lucie Community Foundation? What is so and, our and, who, and who benefits? Good, our, our good work uh, is centered around working with uh, individuals, families, and, and businesses mm-hmm. that choose to establish charitable giving funds with us, mm-hmm. and then they work with us and give through us okay. to charities and causes that are deeply important to them. So the end result is really strategic investments and charities at the right time to help them meet their mission and ultimately create these wonderful communities that we all live in that are vibrant, that have healthy arts and culture and environment and access to health care and basic needs and all the things that we know uh, really make this life uh, so much richer. So another way of putting it is those who have accumulated wealth, um, either from a family standpoint, individual, what have you, and also have a love for community, for the health and well-being of, of their surroundings, so to speak, can now meet with you, meet with the Community Foundation, and figure out and have been able to do so, so not just now, but have been able to do so, whereas they can choose how to give, where to give, and those that are less fortunate can benefit and it can keep the beautiful communities that we see going. Yes? Absolutely, okay. yes. So, and that whole mandate is even more crucial now where we have seen that government help and other um, usual facilities are not available or delayed in great measure. Yes, so philanthropy plays a huge role, and, and sometimes I'm reluctant to use that term. Um, and if if anyone is so inspired, when you look at the term philanthropist, it's so much broader than I think the image that it conjures up for people when they hear it. We work with givers at all levels, and mm-hmm. the giving that happens from individuals and families and businesses, members of our community right now is important, right? We can't understate how important it is. Because while there are resources coming into our communities across the nation and certainly in this region from the state, and they are definitely helping with what we would call direct services, rent, mortgage, food. There are a variety of other needs that not just the most vulnerable in our community need, help with, but there are a variety of other things that just keep our community thriving that have suffered uh, as a result of the pandemic. And we've learned a lot 
Dr. Ken, we, we really have, um, you know, if you'll sort of allow me to share a couple of things that I, I think are worth focusing on for a moment. That, Please do. You know, we've learned just how fragile and crucial our social safety nets are mm. uh, and, and how important it is to make sure that they are stable uh, and ready and able to be responsive uh, for all of those unknowns that can happen, much like the space we're in right now. It also revealed how cumbersome uh, the deployment of human and financial resources can be, right? Sometimes in our our quest to do good, the the barriers that we place in front of ourselves that just make us not really nimble uh, and able to respond and address issues as quickly as we might quite like. But what it reinforced was the power of flexibility, adaptability, and innovation uh, at a time like this, which is clearly unprecedented. It also reinforced the strength and the really deep muscle of our charitable community, including the not-for-profits and givers, philanthropists, because we saw just remarkable collaboration on all fronts, across organizations, across givers, across funding organizations that are more organized and have these, you know, intricate grant-making processes. We instigated, we facilitated, Mm -hmm. and really moved those processes forward during this last six months to try to be more responsive, to, to have a more rapid deployment of resources, and to really listen to both the community and the charitable sector that was on the front lines. So uh, prior to this uh, six months, what you're saying is the giving and charities were not as eager to collaborate as they are now. Um, what does that look like? What is collaboration? Give us an instance where this has happened so we can just really understand what's going on out there. Well, actually, I want to, you know, I want to kind of back up and shout out to the charities, especially the ones in this region, because I would say it is because of their history of collaboration and cooperation that they were able to take it to a whole other level. Okay. So what that collaboration may have looked like was we're good partners, we refer to each other, we understand the work each other does, when we have opportunities to do things together, we do and we will continue to seek out ways to work together uh, as needed. Mm -hmm. What the pandemic did was it forced a locking of elbows across a number of sectors, but let's focus on the not-for-profits, where they looked at ways that they went above and beyond, meaning we had charities that had no choice but to close their doors, you know, within 24 hours after the notice went out that you know, we're going to be in, you know, whatever the version of lockdown was that it was, many charities found themselves not able to deliver services at all. Mm-hmm. But in the spirit of caring about our community and in partnership, many of those organizations, and I don't think many people know this, deployed their staff and volunteers to other organizations that could remain open, that were considered essential on the front lines, that were getting food, arranging for testing and doing all those things in the early days, they took their teams and they dropped them in to other organizations because those organizations needed the extra help. And quite frankly, 
some of our communities are largely retirement communities, and because of that, the age range of the volunteers is much older. So they stopped coming out immediately to help uh, the organizations that perhaps, you know, traditionally had operated food pantries or provided wraparound services, safety net services, if you will, to vulnerable populations. Mm. So that was really remarkable. We saw a sharing of manpower and resources, unlike anything we've seen before. And then we saw organizations which typically may be compartmentalized inside of a geographic boundary, a county. We saw them begin to breach county lines and reach to the north and the south, understanding that our friends and neighbors, our residents live, work, and play throughout a very vast area. And so the pushing of resources and the pulling, if you will, started to happen in a very coordinated method because of the willingness of these charities to collaborate and cooperate and quite frankly to to be nimble enough to figure out how to take their core basic skills because I mean I think you know this Dr. Ken and, and your listeners probably do too that many charities on the front lines every day they're working in a challenging setting and they're having to pivot and react and respond to crises so when they were finally able to pause and catch their breath and draw upon those basic skills they already have hardwired into their organizations, they were able to meet the challenges we were facing during this period, and then they chose to do it together. I think it will create a, a landscape where the depth of that kind of cooperation and partnership will continue into the future, wherever so, we are with this uh, situation. Yeah, so the initial working together, the, the simple um, cross-collaboration of manpower, getting into the communities, seeing the needs of other charities, understanding that, and that camaraderie is now what, in the beginning, is what led to a bigger type of collaboration mm -hmm. now that we're getting into, right? That's Deeper, okay. yeah. And, okay. and trust. You know, all of this is about communication and trust. Mm -hmm. It really pushed people to open up even bigger, mm -hmm. right, to to be willing to take uh, steps into deeper collaborations, partially because they needed to, but also because it was going to allow for this brain trust to think about how to navigate what they were experiencing. And kudos, because, again, while it revealed areas that we can all work collectively to be better prepared for these I call them known unknowns, right? Mm -hmm. The future holds these complex situations that we know are coming, even if we can't put our, our finger or our thumb right on them. And, and I believe that the not-for-profit community will be even more able and capable to navigate in the future. And I think that's true for the giving community, too, because their willingness to say, okay, I may have a very specific way that I typically support causes and charities, but I know we're in a time when we need to take a step back and think about what is the support and the resource needed now, understanding that this is going to be you know, a marathon, not a sprint, and that we will get to the point where we have to reboot, right? Where this virus will be in the rearview mirror, we'll be living with it, and organizations that really struggled, especially uh, with financial resources, 
will need a booster shot to go forward and be able to continue to do their good work that we all rely on in the future. And that includes vital services, but it also includes the quality of life services that we might not be thinking about, like right. what arts and culture and environmental organizations and that that is a big concern, okay. arts and culture, but, and mm-hmm. you know that's something I'm. I think you know all society needs to really preserve and help, and the amount of uh, you know very important institutions, whether in Florida, New York, what have you, that have closed their doors, um, in the arts and culture se- uh, sector, whether it's you know Michelin star restaurants or um, museums um, and so forth and so on. Those 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 facilities are have suffered quite a bit, and we hope. We only hope that they can come back um, post, you know, what we're dealing with now. But give us a little bit of example, if you can, if you have any data or numbers on boots on the ground, vital needs that have been helped um, through these innovations with the Martin St. Lucie County Community Foundation. You know, because uh, I'm sure there's there's definitely been some real serious <laughs> situations, be it families or what have you. Can you give us any examples of stories that we can just Absolutely. hold on to? Absolutely. We, you know, we have made some, some deep uh, investments uh, in the region, and we talked a little bit about that the last uh, time that you and I spoke, but uh, to date, you know, we uh, have deployed resources uh, to well over 150 different organizations in various fields. So when I say basic needs, I mean uh, food, clothing, shelter, Mm -hmm. but also health, mental health, uh, a variety of different kinds of service providers who provide what we would call wraparound services to, you know, ensure that our seniors and our developmentally disabled are stabilized. And we are now, and I'm just going to concentrate this right now in in the Martin and St. Lucie County area, we're knocking on the door of $2 million worth of investments uh, in charities. And for the Community Foundation, uh, we represent about a half of a million dollars of that because, as you know from the last time we talked, that we led two funding consortiums where we brought together uh, organizations that are in the grant-making space naturally and we met on a weekly basis and entertained requests from organizations and then we bundled our resources together and rapidly deployed them and so for example you know community foundation uh might put in uh 10 or 25,000 dollars to meet a request but the total of the request was 75,000 and three other funding partners uh like our united ways or our children's services councils or Allegheny Franciscan Ministries, we had Bank of America at the table, we had a number of entities that were just critical in this process to their willingness to just bundle our available grant-making resources together and get them out into the community to have maximum effect in a short period of time. So we continue to meet uh, uh, frequently and we'll continue to share information because we really uh, realized how efficient and effective we were when we came together and while we each had different requirements on how we could distribute the funds we were responsible for and what parameters each organization had we did an amazing job when we came together and you know for lack of a better term when we were able to piggyback uh, put our dollars together 
uh, and fulfill a request and help an organization really move forward. And I think that uh, it was crystal clear. I know it was crystal clear to us how important that process was, and we're going to continue to meet and, and carry that forward into the future. So this uh, situation, if you will, we talk about silver linings, and I, I think it is going to open up uh, opportunities for us in the future. It already has opened up opportunities for us to do this work in this very delicate space uh, more more thoughtfully, uh, more rapidly, and, and perhaps even more effectively on all sides, both on the side of the uh, charity and not-for-profit providing that service and enriching the community, as well as on the giving side. Gotcha. Um, how has your work benefited, um, say, things like childcare, education, that sort of sector? Are there any names well, or so partners in that area that we can sort of, as a community, champion and cheer for and support? Yeah, so can I, can I give you like a couple different examples of just some of the extraordinary things that happened? Uh, when we talked last time, we were in the thick of making sure that basic needs were met and that, that organizations, especially health and mental health care organizations, had the equipment they needed to engage in and embrace telehealth. And they've done that, uh, and it's had uh, a remarkable impact. And, and many of those organizations are reporting that some populations that they serve are responding really well to that, and they will take that forward into the future. So we were able to equip them and get their staff trained uh, and ready to be able to deliver services in this new environment. And then we really had to begin to focus on, as we started to... Uh, understand that this was going to be a much longer situation and that individuals and families who are out of work were going to need to get back. We had to start to focus on getting kids back in school. We had to focus on child care uh, for birth to five years old and what that was going to look like. So we began to work with child care centers um, and other you know, educational bodies in the community to make sure that they were able to be sanitized they were able to meet distancing requirements, and that they were able to embrace partnerships with other organizations for enhanced learning opportunities. So I'm going to use the Children's Museum as an example. You know, they're in that space where they have not been able to fully open and enjoy their visitors, but they do have access to a wealth of information that has been enriching children in the region for a long time. So they put together activity and learning kits that they then began to deploy with food through food pantries and make available through child care centers and through boys and girls clubs. So a lot of creativity happened about how to keep learning going and then how to do it safely, right, under the, these new requirements. And so much of our grant making was centered on making sure that all that could happen. Right. But then organizations started to get really creative uh, and one of our developmental disabilities organizations here locally that helps get uh, developmentally disabled individuals and physically disabled individuals back to work in our community mm. they That's were huge. really struggling to do their work the way they normally do so yeah. they opened up a business unit and they started a sanitization company and started going out and helping people meet the sanitization requirements 
And so not only are they putting their people to work, but they're also enjoying some revenue back into their organization. That's brilliant. So we help to seed some of that happening, right? Yeah, that's So we really talk about creativity. Yeah. That is Right? Great. What is that? Necessity is the mother of, in, of invention. Mm-hmm. I, I think we should share that that's what's on the horizon. And what I also it's see people. here is um, the, the immense um, importance of social interaction and how that plays on health and well-being. I mean, being mm-hmm. outdoors and being socially and, you know, interacting with each other, obviously positively and safely are key terms here. Um, but doing it uh, for so long that was dismissed, and especially for the elderly and disabled, that is what keeps them going a lot of times is that social interaction. So uh, pr- presenting with this sort of solution here, um, that's really beautiful. Thank you. It is extraordinary. You know, our, our elder-serving organizations that were used to being static locations and delivering services in one place, mm-hmm. You know, they sent uh, social workers and individuals uh, when it became safe out into the homes and ensured that those seniors that really need that uh, evaluation and interaction and also their caregivers who need a little bit of respite could get that. So it, it was a pretty quick pivot, as I said, for these organizations who really in, embraced change and will continue to do so. And And I see them taking this as a learning opportunity and thinking about how do we just continue to grow and evolve uh, and, and work in this space in the future, still meeting our, our mission and doing our work at the highest level. Right. And then for philanthropists to just be inspired to continue to give while they live, right? Um, no matter the dollar amount, um, your dollars, uh, your time, your energy as you have it to give during your lifetime, uh, do so and, and witness uh, the the value of of that uh, charity um, and and the good results it can bring and the impact on the community and and be brave be willing to you know if you have the giving capacity be willing to seed innovation and and be brave to do some strategic giving that will allow organizations um, to not only you know, survive as as we move forward, um, but then to continue this innovation and and these newfound partnerships and collaboration at these new levels. Uh, let's let's be the inspiration. Yes, and in, in, in this little pocket of the world, I think you're setting a mm-hmm. you and the Martin and St. Lucie County Community Foundation are setting a great example. And uh, I think you know, I, I definitely see that for many, there's a silver lining here amidst all this human suffering. Um, and I think I hopefully we just, you know, come through this shining brighter and uh, being a stronger and, and more uh, together community, you know, because we're stronger together. That's that's the truth. And uh, even in our differences, um, we can see that we still have a lot of the same needs. And uh, I really appreciate you looking at those needs and finding creative ways to to deal with them and uh, leading the charge with your partners and, and, and all of your uh, co-workers and everyone there. Um, really really great and thank you for taking the time today um this has been another maximum health quality living and uh, this has been elizabeth barbella at the martin and st lucie county community foundation if you've missed any portion of the show it's on podcast all of them and uh, please stay tuned and keep in touch see you next time <laughs>